Everyone, and Happy New Year. Why don't you look at the person in your left and say Happy New Year? And to your right, Happy New Year. I know it's raining right now. It's a bed time, bed kind of spending day weather. Uh, I remember when I was in college, I would actually, even when I was here, when the weather was like this, I'll stay in bed for guess how many hours? 24 is too much. 28, yes, correct. It's, I, I, I tried to stay in bed for 18 hours. And, and my friend said that it's actually a miracle that I stay in bed for 18 hours and my back doesn't hurt. It's a miracle. Now, um, every year as a family, all right, we come together worldwide, not just in Bahrain, but worldwide in, in across 84 nations. We come together um, on the first month of the year and on the middle month of uh, on, on July, in the middle of the year, for the, our annual fasting, prayer, and consecration. Before it was just fasting and prayer, okay. But recently, in the past, in the past two years, they've added consecration, and I believe that's important. That every year we come together as a family, and as a movement, to seek God in prayer, right, and fast so that we can hear from Him. And I, I just want to push it there, I want to say it out loud, that when we fast, we don't bend the arm of God, okay? When we fast, we listen to God for His will. That we bend ourselves and we don't bend God. I just want to put that out, because sometimes when we fast, we seek God for something. But in fact, we should be seeking God and His will. And as we seek God and His will, he gives purpose in our lives. He gives us direction. And that's why we consecrate ourselves. And, and as a people that has been set apart, you know, set apart to be a royal priesthood, not just a priesthood, but a royal priesthood, it's important that we devote ourselves and consecrate ourselves to God. This year, our theme will be miracles. Right, and so starting on January 9 to 13, um, hello, better, right, on the, from January 9 to 13, of course, this year, 2022, uh, 2023, right, so that's from Monday to Friday, we will be meeting nightly at Mignas Plaza, right, that's over here, um, that's, I think that's my place, <laughs> all right, in my place, you're all invited. And we will be praying for four things, right? On the first night, we will be praying for nations because we believe that the nations is our inheritance. And it's a privilege for us to reclaim all of these nations for God. It's a privilege for us to be part of that mission. We will also be praying for Bahrain, where we are right now, right? That, that the gospel be, would, be, would spread from Bahrain throughout the GCC and beyond. We will also be praying for our church. We'll be praying for unity, for the leaders. We'll be praying for discipleship. And of course, we'll be praying for the campus because we believe that we have been called to the campus. We will also believe, we will also believe for personal breakthroughs. We will be praying for your personal breakthroughs. Miracles. Right? What's so amazing about miracles is that miracles come when you least expect it. Amen? And that's why I'm so excited this year. So I, I, I really invite you to come and join us this week. 
as we pray and fast and consecrate ourselves for the coming 2023. If you're that person, if you think that you've been called to do this prayer and fasting, the materials are available at the back. Right? Um, how much is it, Ate Jen? Two BD each. Okay, just benefit paid to me. All right? I'm joking, it's free. All right? Before anything else, I'd like to introduce to you my family. Oh, oh sorry, sorry, I forgot. Here's a QR code. So if you want to get the copy um, digitally, if, if, you're if you want to be environmentally friendly, right, here's the QR code, and, and you just scan the materials, and then you can, of course, with the Apple Pen, not Samsung Pen. Right? Apple Pen. Right? You can answer the devotionals there. All right? Now, before anything else, I'd like to introduce you to my family. We're fortunate to have spent this Christmas and New Year together. On my, on your, on my left, okay, that's on your right, okay, that's me. When I was thinner, a few months ago. Thank you, Photoshop. All right. Next to that is my daughter, Christel. She's here right now. My lovely wife over here, and of course my son, who's sadly leaving um, next week. Sadpunks, <laughs> separation, anxiety. But okay, you know, well, family is a miracle, and and if you know. If, if you know how we journeyed as a family, it's really a miracle that we're together. When we started as a family, a lot, a lot, I mean a lot, would say that we wouldn't last long. That sooner or later we'd separate. You know? but, but by the grace and the miracle of God, you know, 24 and 6 months later, we're still together. Right? Around 24, 6 months and 2 weeks, something. Right? We're still together. It's a miracle. But who among you would believe that there is even a greater miracle than that? Who among you know that there's a greater miracle than families coming together? Who among you would believe me when I say that we have a miracle that is greater than healing, greater than than financial breakthrough, we have a miracle greater than that. And our greatest miracle is actually to have laid our eyes on Jesus Christ. And that, we will be talking about that today. We'll be talking from, we will be reading and studying from John 1, 35 to 51, where we will talk about this phrase. And when we go home today, I, I, my prayer is that we declare this. Right? We declare that we have seen the Messiah. So in reverence of the word, may I invite everyone to please stand up and turn your Bibles to John chapter 1, 35 to 51. Right? You there? All right, with your Apple pen? <laughs> right. Okay, to those of you who are new, there's been a feud. Which one is better, Apple or others? Okay? So... Um, my, we will be, the preaching today won't have any headers, it won't have any point, but it does have a point. But my encouragement is to have your Bibles open in these chapters as we go through it verse by verse. All right? We will go through it verse by verse. All right? John chapter 1, verse 35. All right? John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day again, okay, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Immediately, the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following 
and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Verse 45, the next day, Jesus decided to go to, the, uh, to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida and the city of Andrew and Peter. 45, Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, can anything Good come out of Nazareth. Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe you will do you believe you will see greater things than these? And he said to him, Truly I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angel of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's all bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. Father, I pray, Lord God, that as we dive into your word, Lord, reveal to us, Lord, how this word affects us, how we see ourselves in your words. And Father, I pray that your revelation, Lord God, will help us grow into someone, Lord God, who has been called to be a witness, has been called to declare you to the, your name to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, excuse me, you may have your seats. So in the past four, uh, past four weeks, okay, this is the fifth week, we're going to the book of John, specifically John chapter 1. And we've been stuck there for five weeks. And, and when I started way back last year, when I started reading John 1, I just passed through it. I said, okay, this is just a normal narrative. Let me, let's just go through it. But later on, when I was reading this, I, I, I was just astounded by the depth and, and, and meaning and, and, and the revelation that the Word of God has in this first chapter alone. You see, the greatest problem of man is not well-being. Amen? It's not your well-being. It's not your income. That's not your greatest problem. It's not your mental health. That's not your greatest problem. It's not even your health, physical health. That's the problem. All right? The problem is not even our relationships or the relationships that we have. Right? The greatest problem of man is what? Sin. Sin. 
right? And, and hold on for a bit. This is where the phrase, Jesus, the Lamb of God, become, has becomes more alive. And this is where John, tying up the start of his gospel, of his book to Genesis, comes alive, right? It's not an accident that the beginning of John's gospel is tied to Genesis. Okay, hold on. Just I know to some of us, it's, it's kind of, especially in this weather, but, but hold on. It's worth holding on. Now, Genesis 1 says, In the beginning, God created. Correct? Sadly, though, a few verses after that, a few moments after, humans came into the picture and ruined God's perfect creation. Correct? Right? When Adam and Eve ate what? I know it hurts. It's apple. No, the fruit. Okay, it doesn't say apple. It says the fruit. Okay, um, because of that, us humans ushered into the world sin, ruining the world. Right? Genesis one. Now John one. How did John start his gospel? In the beginning was the word. Correct? Right. In the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In him was light. And life. Why is light in life? Because we ruin creation. We, be, we made creation into a dark place, into a dead and decaying place. Right? So now here, instead of making a new creation, okay, if Genesis 1, 1 talks about the original creation, in John's account, he talks about redemption. You see how amazing that is? Or it's just me because I'm a Bible geek. <laughs> if Genesis 1 talks about a creation marred by human beings because of sin, John now talks about redemption. Why aren't we happy? <laughs> John is saying that there's a greater miracle. And Jesus is that great miracle. For someone who step, who is out of time, not out of time, because he created time itself, stepping into time, on time, that's the greatest miracle. It's not our healing, it's not our finances, it's not us coming together, but Jesus stepping into our time, redeeming creation. That's a great miracle. It says so in the next verse, right? Verse 35. It says here. In the next day, the next day, okay? The previous day, Jesus was coming towards John. He was coming towards John. But the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked, John looked at Jesus as he walked past by. Right? He walked by. He wasn't coming towards John, but he walked by. And John, what did he say? He says, behold. Remember, two people were standing with John, and John the Baptist says, behold. And what's so amazing about John is he takes every opportunity to talk about Jesus. He takes every single opportunity to talk about Jesus. Now, the word behold here means not just to see. 
when we say, Behold, when I say, Behold, this is the tissue where, where, that I will use to wipe my tears later, I'm not saying just look at it. I'm saying to behold it, to grasp it, to know and see. To know Jesus Christ and see Him. Don't miss it. Why? Because Jesus is an observable, objective fact. He's not just a person in passing. He's not just someone, you know, when, when, you were, when, we, were, when we, we, we lounge around, right, and see people pass by, and oh, I don't know him, kaliwali. See, I'm good at Arabic. Kaliwali. Okay. Then, when Jesus passed by, John said, Behold! Hold it! Grasp it! Now, what is, he, John, what is John doing? Right? John is being a witness. And here, you will see the domino effect. How one witnessing creates a domino effect. John the Baptist experienced Jesus firsthand. Now, this account actually happened after the baptism of Jesus. It happened after the baptism of Jesus. So during the baptism of Jesus, what happened? When Jesus came to John, John said, I can't baptize you. You're the one who's supposed to baptize me. But Jesus said, no, you're baptizing me because that's what's written. And when Jesus got baptized, when he got out of the water, what happened? The heavens opened. And John was seeing this. He was seeing it firsthand. They were actually standing together. The heaven opened and what? And the dove flew down. The, the Spirit of God flew down on Jesus. But wait, there's more. It even said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Imagine yourself for a moment. Let's go back in time in that river where John was baptizing. What would you do? What would you do if you were John the Baptist and you baptized Jesus Christ and suddenly the heavens opened? Would you believe that he is the Son of God? Would you? And John knew that he was the Son of God. That's why when he passed by, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God is derived from the Old Testament where the Lamb was a symbol of sacrifice and redemption. It's difficult. I mean, it's, now it's, it's hard for us to grasp that thought that we don't need a symbol of sacrifice and redemption because we're in a society where we think that we can achieve anything we put our mind into. But no matter what you do, no matter what work, what, what good work you do, no matter what you do, it won't amount to the fact that you can pay for your own sins. Remember what I said earlier? The greatest problem of man is not his health, not his wealth, not his relationship. The greatest problem of man is sin. And no matter what you do, you will never ever be able to pay for your sin. You need the Lamb of God. And that's the heart of John. God has been quiet for so long. And now here, they've been waiting for the Messiah for such a long time. And then in front of him appears 
Jesus, the Lamb of God. Can you see his excitement when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And then with him were two disciples. Right? With him were two disciples. Who were those disciples? Andrew and John. Andrew and John. What did Andrew and John do? He just mentioned Andrew, but later on we found out that he's John. What did Andrew and John do? Immediately, these two disciples heard him say this, and what did they do? They followed Jesus Christ. Why do you think that they do that? Because they know that the only way for them to be saved is through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ offers salvation to all of humanity. Centuries have passed. Israel was in trouble. They're waiting for the Messiah to come. The Romans invaded Israel. They're under the Roman occupation. And suddenly appeared salvation. Suddenly appeared hope. Now, based on John's testimony, they immediately followed him. What would it take for us to follow Jesus? And in the next couple of events, in the next events, we will see how these disciples, these apostles, followed Jesus Christ. What made them decide to follow Jesus Christ? So for John and Andrew, it's a testimony of John the Baptist. But what about Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel? Right? The two... When, when, so what happened was when, picture this with me, okay? John, behold the Lamb of God, passed by. John and Andrew followed him. And, and can I ask Anthony and uh, Graham to join me on stage? And why do I want to do this? I, was, I just want to put them to shame. All right? So that was John the Baptist over there. So he left them to follow Jesus Christ. I'm not Jesus. I'm just pretending to be one. So when, when, uh, when Jesus was walking, what happened was Jesus turned. Right? Again, again, again. Turned. All right. Okay. Thank you. All right. And I, I just want you to picture that. <laughs> now I'm just checking if you're awake. Because it's a sleepy kind of weather. You know. but when turned, actually, I want you to encircle that in your Bibles. Turned here is a very important word. And, and the reason why it's a very important word because it does not signify just a person turning and looking at a person. It signifies a conversion. It doesn't just speak about physical turning because every time Jesus does this in the Gospels, you can read about it, there is a change in attitude. There's a change in attitude. Every time Jesus turns to a person, there's a change in attitude. And what comes next it's an unexpected curveball of a message to a person. An example would be in Matthew 16.23. Jesus turned to Peter and he said, Satan, okay? get behind me, Satan. Jesus turned and spoke to Peter. And again, in Matthew 7.44, then turning toward the women, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? 
I entered your house. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she wasn't, she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You see the conversion in the change of attitude? Like when I turn, when Jesus turns to you and you say, you know what? You were eating in recess and you did not share your food with me. How dare you? He turned and said, you know what? I was failing my math exam and you did not make me copy your answers. So there's a, you know, when Jesus turns, there's a, there's a statement that, you know, just cuts through the heart. And, and this is actually, the statement that he throws here is actually the first set of words that Jesus spoke in the Gospel of John. Right? This is the first set of words that Jesus spoke in the Gospel of John. What did, he say? What did Jesus say? He said, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? Now, whether it's your first time here or whether you've been here for ages, right? And as we enter the new year, I think this is especially important for us to ask this question, right? What are you seeking? Why do you come to church? Why do you want to be connected? What are we seeking? This is important because how you answer these questions defines what follows in your life. It defines it. Are you seeking for love? See, if you are seeking for an example, you can find that in Jesus Christ. He's a perfect example. If you are like Buddha, seeking enlightenment, you can find that in Christ. He can give you not only knowledge, but wisdom. But if you seek Jesus for these things alone, you actually fail to experience the fullness of Christ. If you seek Jesus for your financial welfare, if you seek Jesus for, for your, you know, for your to, to complete you because you feel that you've been rejected, you can find that in Jesus Christ. But if you seek that alone, if you seek only that, you will fail to experience the fullness of Christ. And why did I say that? Because we seek the wrong things. If we seek only material things, emotional things, we seek the wrong things. What are we seeking? You know what? We need to seek Jesus Christ and see Him as our Savior. More than anything else. And like what I said earlier, the biggest problem of humanity is sin. He is a savior of he is our savior. He will never, ever, you know, go back go back on his word. If he, we don't see him as a savior, we will never experience what he came to provide. And why do I say that? You know what? In Luke 19:10 or Luke. 
9.10, rather, we see his mission statement. It says here that he came to seek and save the lost. Now, what do we seek? You know what? Let's, let's also make it personal. Let's ask this question, what do I seek? What do I seek? Fame? Power? Significance? See, if you seek the kingdom of God first and His righteousness, all other things that you will seek will be added onto you. Isn't it? If you are seeking for love, Jesus provides unconditional love. Do you know what unconditional love is? I know my wife loves me because of my good looks. I'm just checking if you're awake, okay? That's a joke. Thank you, thank you, Lord, for keeping them awake. <laughs> right? But what if my good looks fade? Will she still love me? Of course. Right? If you are seeking for healing, He touches people and heals them. Remember, He also came to heal the brokenhearted. Who among you had a cold Christmas? He, he, see, he came to heal the brokenhearted. You know what? If you lost your way and you're seeking for direction, guess what? Jesus came that you may be found, so you're not lost. If you are disoriented, who among you knows how to be disoriented? Have you played Breaking the Pot or in the U.S. like Breaking the Donkey? Was it? Breaking the Donkey? <laughs> All right. They, they put a blindfold on your, on your eyes, of course, blindfold on your eyes. Where can you be blind? But in your eyes. And they spin you. And then after they spin you, you have to hit the pot. Or the piñata. Right? Have you ever experienced that? That's how it means to be disoriented. If you're disoriented, you know what? Jesus came so that the blind may see. If you are stuck and can't move, you know, he can heal the paralytic. He can make the lame walk. I'm still waiting for the day when he makes my lame joke, you know, bring joy. If you're disturbed, come on, you're disturbed. You have lost hope. He came to give you peace. If you are a slave too, come on, say it with me. Skin. Okay? If you are a slave to sin, guess what? Jesus has came to set you free. If you are unsatisfied by the where by where you are at right now, you don't have your nose is not too sharp, right? Your belly is too big. If you are not satisfied, you want to eat lechon again? He is inviting you to drink from the water 
so that your thirst may be quenched. Maybe you're asking me today, how can we experience all of this? How can we experience freedom? How can we experience true joy? How can we experience a being whole again? How can we experience that? It's see, you can see that in the next verse. It says, He said to them, He said to them, next verse, Come and you will see. You want to experience all of that? Freedom from sin, not just from skin. Wisdom, not just knowledge. Eternal life, not just purpose. You want to experience all of that. Jesus is saying, come and you will see. Interestingly, Andrew and John knew that he was the Lamb of God based solely on the testimony of John the Baptist. Right? But his reply was not a rebuke. His reply is not a guilt trip. His reply was simply, come and see. You know what he could have said? Don't you know that I'm the Lamb of God? John the Baptist said that. Don't you know that I'm the Savior of the world? You know what? He could have said that. And I'm just imagining Anthony saying that. And he would continue to say, if you knew that, kneel before me. <laughs> but he said, come and see. His response is so simple that, the, that, that what happens next is just another miracle. What happens next? So they came and saw. Jesus never fails. He never fails. And no matter, you know, no matter where you are, no matter what level of faith you have, and no, no matter what situation you are in, he would just come, you, come to you and meet you at your situation. He could have been, you know, wait, wait, wait. You know what, Andrew, John, go back to John the Baptist and, and really clarify who I am. I'm not just a rabbi. I'm the savior of the world. He could have said that. But Jesus came down to where they are and invited them to come and see. And because of that, they came and saw, and this event was so memorable to John. It was so memorable to John that he still recalled the time when, when all of this happened. He recalled the time when it happened. It says here, it happened about the 10th hour. It's their first encounter with Jesus Christ, and it's so memorable to them. My question to you this morning is this. Is our first encounter with Christ memorable enough that we still remember the time that it happened? Or is, just, is it just something that was in passing? Is it memorable enough 
that you still remember the first time that Jesus took you from where you are and invited you to come and see Him? Do you still remember the time when He touched you and your response was just to fall on your knees and worship Him? Do you still remember the time? It was to them. And here is how Andrew responded. This is how Andrew responded to that. One of the two who heard from John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother. Right? Can, can we move to that? Right? One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. This is now Andrew's response to that memorable time. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon. He found his own brother and said to him, We have found the Messiah. This is the second time. The third time in the narrative, but this is the second time that I I shared this this morning. We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. So he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him. Now, it, it, it is interesting that Andrew, if you look at all the gospel, I've never seen Andrew preach. Correct me if I'm wrong. Share, I mean, maybe I missed it. I'm not saying I'm perfect. But is there a passage in the Bible where Andrew preached like Peter or like Paul? There's not even the book of Andrew, right? There's no book of Andrew. Andrew chapter 1 verse 1. Mafi, right? He did not perform miracles, did he? Did he perform miracles? I can't remember the time he performed a miracle. But what did he do? He brought people to Jesus Christ. He brought the boy who had five loaves and two milk fish. No, tilapia. That's two fish. I don't know what fish it is, but it's fish, right? All right. He brought five barley loaves and two fish. And then he brought his own brother. And then he brought his, you know, the Greeks to Jesus Christ. That's what Andrew did. You know what? He saw people, not the people's problems. The story of Andrew can be illustrated in the, by the story of bringing the horse to the water. You see, you can bring the horse to the water and the horse will not drink. And definitely, the water will not eat the horse. Right? But what he did was to bring people to Jesus Bring, pe- bring the horse to the water. How? By showing the way he lives. Even before this account, we see Andrew seeking Jesus, seeking God. Why do we know that? Because he was with John. And John said, no, no, I'm not the one you're seeking for. You're seeking for that man. Behold, he's passing by. He was a seeker. Andrew was a seeker. And my prayer is that, you know, we don't need to do miracles. We don't need to be preaching. We don't need to know a lot of things. All we need to do is to live the life that honors God and bring people to Christ. 
Sometimes we think that we're not worthy and we stop there, we freeze there. Like, like John the Baptist, we are all called to be witnesses. And how can, we, how can we become a witness? By the way we live. That's the best way we can be a witness. And through that, we may, able, we may be able to bring people to Christ. Just like Andrew. And that is my prayer. That we can all be like Andrew not really like Peter, who's like, you know, I'm Peter. Yeah. But still bring people to Christ. The next phrase actually struck me. Okay? Jesus, he brought him to Jesus, Peter, and Jesus looked at him. Again, when we say look at him, to the Greek, that means to behold. Not just to see, but behold and to know and to believe. You know, when we say now, because of English or because of the way we, we translated it, when we say look, it's just like, oh, look, okay. Thank you. Look, okay. Oh, this child is so beautiful. He looks, she looks like me. But you know what? Jesus, when he saw Peter, he did not just look at him, but he gazed at him. He observed Peter. He looked at him contemplative, thinking about you know, contem contem contemplatively. <laughs> but more than that, he looked at him lovingly. So much so that, you know, two, three years after, when Peter denied Jesus Christ three times, again, Jesus looked at him and then that made him cry. Because I believe that when Peter denied Christ, it was the same look Jesus gave to him when he first saw Peter. That's my belief. Right? But imagine meeting people like Peter. Imagine meeting people like Peter. What kind of person is he? He's the kind of person who says, shoot now and then aim later. And do you want to do that? Shoot now, aim later? Or invest now and then whatever may be, may be. Huh? That's the kind of pe person Peter is. That's the kind of per person he is. His life had, is, you know, had extreme highs like when he says, Lord, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And extreme lows when, you know, he denied Jesus three times. That's the, that's the kind of person Peter is. He has extreme highs, extreme lows. And at this moment, we see that Jesus already knew who he was, who he is, and who he will be. He, Jesus, already knew that. And that did not prevent Jesus from choosing Peter. He knew that Peter will deny him three times. He knew that. He knew Peter will be cutting ears and making sisig. He knew that. 
Yet that did not stop him. How did I know that? It says so. He says here, you, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall, English teacher, pass. Right? You are means present and past. But again, he said, you shall future. Sorry, not you shall past. Okay? You are, you shall. You are, you shall. You shall be called Cephas. And what I want to put an emphasis on today is when Jesus said that you are and you shall, that is an act of changing, that the act of changing his name signifies that a transformation is about to take place. When we meet Jesus Christ, there's going to be a transformation. And that transformation is so powerful and amazing that the only way the English language and the other language or the, the only way any human language can describe it is that you are a new creation. Can you imagine that kind of transformation? It's not reclamation. It's not make, making you a better person. No, no, no. You are a new creation. And that is an act of grace. Peter didn't do anything that would merit this. Did he? Was there any mention that he was already doing ministry? There was no mention. Peter did not do anything that will merit this, nor did he perform anything that will merit it. Yet Jesus is already declaring that on this rock, this rock, he will build his church. Imagine that with me. He did not do anything yet. He did not accomplish anything yet. And he knew the ups and the downs that Peter will be going through. And yet, this very moment, the first time he met Peter, he already said, on this rock, I will build my church. On that rock, we are built today. Thousands of years ago, Jesus already declared that on this rock, this flimsy Peter rock, he will build his church. It's an act of grace. You are and you shall be is also a message for all of us. You are and you shall be is also a message for you. Are you broken? You are broken. Guess what? You shall be made whole. Are you hurting? Are you hurting? Don't be shy to accept that you are hurting. Guess what? You shall be healed. Are you condemned? Are you condemned? Guess what? If you are condemned and you are wicked, you shall be forgiven. No matter your past, no matter what future you have, you shall be forgiven. 
And I always say this because it's really important. I always say this. And I, I truly believe in this. But as we enter the new year, I'd like to take it a step further. Right? I'd like to step. I always say that Jesus accepted you. And all the Bruno Mars fans will sing with me. Just the way you. <laughs> I'm checking if you're awake, okay? Jesus accepted you just the way you are. I always say that because it's really, really important. But this morning, I want to add on to that. He, Jesus accepted you just the way you are, are, but He loves you so much that He does not allow you to remain the way you are. He loves you so much that He does not allow you to remain the way you are. It expresses the idea that God accepts us as we are, but He also loves us so much that He doesn't want us to remain where we are because God's love for us is not just a passive acceptance. It's not just a passive acceptance. It's not just that. It, it, he accepts our flaws and our weakness, but it's also an active desire to transform and renew us. Transform and renew us. How? Through His love, grace, and the Spirit of God. He offers us the, the opportunity to what? To repent from our sins and receive His forgiveness. Even if you sin again and again and again and again and again. Gene said earlier on, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Sin again and again and again and again. Sin. But grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. That grace, when it's already running out, he refills that grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Can you picture that with me? Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Because while we are accepted by God as we are, we are also called to follow Jesus, grow in our faith and obedience, and become more like Him in the way we think and in the way we act and in the way we speak. So that it can open up opportunities for us to proclaim, Behold, I have seen the Lamb of God. Because the, the God came for a mission. God came for a mission and we're part of that mission. And He is dedicated to His mission. In fact, in the next verse, it says here, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And what He found there? He found Philip and said to him, follow me. You know what? In the NASB, this word decided is translated as determined. Jesus was determined to go to Galilee. He was supposed to go 
away from where he was baptized into Jerusalem. But wait, I have to pass, go, pass by Galilee. Because why? Because Philip is there. And he said to Philip, follow me. He went out of his way to find Philip. So no matter where you are, I want you to hold on to this promise. Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter where you are. But what's so funny later on is how actually Philip spoke with Nathaniel. Okay? Let's read it. Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Peter. Okay? Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. That's so funny how he responded and how he spoke about Jesus Christ. Right? He said, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, in Philip's vantage point, right? In Philip's vantage point, what did he say? He found the Messiah. You see that? But who actually went to Philip? It's Jesus who found Philip. Did you get it? Did you get it? I see Yobi's face. Now, while the text does not say this, there is a record that Philip actually had, a pre had previous interactions already with Jesus Christ. Right? Andrew and Peter. Remember? He's from the same city. But see how Philip talks to Nathaniel. He says, We found him of whom Moses in the law, of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Why did he say this? Because Nathaniel is in a quest for the truth. And I want you to hold on to that thought. It was clear to him that in Jesus, the, the word became flesh. Philip, it's clear to him. Right? It's clear to him that the word became flesh in Jesus Christ. Now, what does Philip do? He goes to Nathaniel, who is in quest of the truth. So when Philip spoke about Jesus to Nathaniel, what greeted Philip was skepticism. Right? Yeah, ironically, this guy who is searching for the truth, when he found the truth, he became a skeptic. Right? Because see how Nathaniel responded. It says here, Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Skepticism. And I don't blame, I mean, in our walk in, with Jesus Christ, and, and when we proclaim Jesus Christ, we'll always be faced with skeptics. We'll always be, be faced, we'll always face people who have questions, sometimes very, very, I don't know, how do you, how, what's philosophy in English? Not philosophy. Sarcastic, right? Sarcastic answers, right? And, and I can't blame Nathaniel. Why? Because during that day, during that day, Nazareth was actually a red light district. So I can't blame him. It was an unlikely place where the Savior will come. 
And also remember, Nathaniel was, read, was, was in quest for the truth. He knew that the, the Savior will not come from Nazareth, but from Bethlehem. Remember, Jesus was born where? In Bethlehem. But here, you know, this actually is, is, is so amazing. But here you see how Philip answers this skeptic. Right? You see how Philip answers this skeptic. He does not attempt to answer his question. Even, you know, sometimes we, we sometimes when, when, we, when we're faced with skepticism, we try to answer that, that question. It's okay if you don't answer that question. It's fine if you admit you don't know. Like what Philip did. Right? How did he answer? He did not pretend to know the answer, but instead he said this. Come and see. How many times have we seen this phrase today? Come and see. Come and see. When we face the same situation, we follow the pattern of Christ. Actually, in any situation we face, we follow the pattern of Christ. Where did Philip get this strategy from? From verse, the earlier verse that we read. When Jesus invited Andrew and John, what did he say? Come and see. They went and saw. Come and see. Because we don't have to know everything before we can give an invitation. You don't have to know everything before you can give an invitation. I remember when I just got saved. You know, when, and I'm not, left, I mean, I couldn't give examples of other people without asking permission, and I forgot to ask permission. But I, I know that it's not just me. When we got saved, the first time, the, the first time we met Christ, the next day, what did you want to, what, what did you do? You were excited to share about Christ. Amen? My question is, what's stopping us to do that now? What's stopping us from inviting people to the church? What's stopping us from introducing Christ? And it can be a lot of things. It can be our lifestyle. It can be our profession. It can be whatever. But don't let that stop you from inviting people to the church. Don't let that stop you from giving an invitation to follow Jesus Christ. Because the gospel is the most basic human right. Because it not only affects this point of time, it affects eternity. So Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathaniel. Again, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him. See, he did not even reach. He's still coming toward him. And he said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And this is where we will go down the rabbit hole. Because you have to, you know, to understand this, we have to have the mind of a Jew at that time. So just bear with me for a few more minutes. Now, this actually is one of the most confusing exchanges that happened in the Bible. 
I mean, Nathaniel is already an Israelite. But what does this mean? In whom there is no deceit. Whereas everyone is a sinner, correct? But he's saying here, behold, there is no deceit. Okay? So hold on to that. To a Jewish audience, through an ex this exchange is a profound observation about Nathaniel. Now, if you're a Jew, you will see that this is not just an ordinary response, but this is actually a perfect, oops, testing, all right, perfect observation of who Nathaniel is. It's a perfect observation of who Nathaniel is, right? Why? Because deceit here means craftiness. Craftiness. Now, when Jesus used this word, deceit, he also added, right, deceit, he also added Israelite. All right? Bear with me. Hold, hold, hold on to that thought. Right? Now, it gives this, Jesus adding the word Israelite to deceit gives it actually a depth, a deeper meaning. Here, the scholars in the Septuagint Okay, if you don't know what the Septuagint is, just approach Jean or Anthony. They will know. The scholars in the Septuagint translated this as Israelite in whom there is no deceit. If you read this, it, the translation would be an Israelite where there is no Jacob. I get it. Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no Jacob. And, and you hold on to that because it will. this will make the next verse Give meaning, all right? It will help give meaning to the next verse. Verse. A man of ultimate, who is Jacob? A man is actually an ultimate man that is crafty. Okay? In the words of Anthony, he's a scammer. All right? He is a scammer. Behold, an Israelite that is in, in him, there is no Jacob. And, and why did he say that? Why an Israelite there where there is no Jacob? Why is this weird? Because remember when Jacob wrestled with God, right? What did God do? He changed the name Jacob into Israel. And therefore, Jacob, from Jacob became are the descendants of Israel. But Jesus observing Nathaniel saying, this Israelite has no deceit means that Israelite has no Jacob in him. You get it? Amazing, right? Sometimes I also research. Right? So what is, say, what is Jesus saying to Nathaniel? You are... So what, what does that mean? He was under the fig tree. Okay? He was under the fig tree. And what Jesus is saying to Nathaniel is this. Nathaniel, you are not pretending to be someone else. You are not pretending to be someone else. Right? You indeed have a love of God. But wait, there's more. Actually, Nathaniel's response is a bit entitled. His response is a bit entitled. But it actually makes sense. Because if I was Jesus, I was Nathaniel, I would question Jesus, Jesus, how do you know what's running in my head? 
How do you know what's running in my head? How do you know what I seek? Right? So definitely, I will ask Jesus, how do you know me? I've never interacted with you in the past. I've never seen you in my entire life. How do you know me? How do you know that I have no deceit in me? And here is Jesus' response. Right? He said, before, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Before the world was created, Jesus saw you. Before anything else in creation, Jesus saw you. You see, the fig tree is a traditional place for meditation, prayer, and religious study. That's why I know that Nathaniel was a God-seeker. That's how I know that he was seeking the truth. Because the fig tree is a religious symbol of a, a, a traditional place of meditation, prayer, and religious study. And further, this is his response. Just by saying that, just by saying, you know what, Jesus answered him before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. You know how Nathaniel responded to him? He said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. John and Andrew, when they met Christ and Christ invited them to him, their response was what? Rabbi. Peter, he did not even respond. But Nathaniel, he responded, because you know me, Rabbi, teacher, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. In Genesis 28, right, verse 50, it says here, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, and Jesus also sometimes, no? Because I said to you, I answered, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? Just because I said that, do you believe? Do you believe that since I, I'm saying that I know you, you already believe? Wait, there's more. You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Here's where the previous verse makes sense. In Genesis 28, Jacob dreams of a ladder on earth that was heading towards heaven. You know that dream? And in that dream, he saw angels ascending and descending on those ladders. That's what we call Jacob's ladder. Right? Now, in the mind of the Jew, this meant that God, God's work on earth will occur to Jacob, will occur in the nation of Israel. But now, Jesus says this, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on what? Not on the nation of Israel, but on the Son of Man. Meaning, God's work will no longer go through Israel, but will occur through the Son of Man. And I want to go back to that fig tree. I want to go back to that fig tree. See how Jesus, how Jesus responded? I saw you under the fig tree. And I did some research. And the other time that the fig tree was spoken about was when Adam and Eve used it to cover themselves in the Garden of Eden. And, and I'd, I'd like to invite you right now to just contemplate. Just close your eyes. And then let's just place ourselves under that fig tree. The fig tree is a religious symbol where the Israelites meditate, pray, but it's also a place where people come to seek the truth. And like all of us today, right? Yes, Jacob was under the fig tree, but remember that Jacob was also a sinner. No, Nathaniel was also a sinner. But he was under the fig tree. Now, if you're under that fig tree right now, I want you to imagine that just like Nathaniel, Jesus Christ is coming towards you. Jesus Christ is, is coming towards you. If you're trying to make sense out of life, if you're trying to find meaning, and I was doing this earlier while I was preparing for the preaching. I was doing this. Lord, what's, my, what's the meaning of all of this? What, 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 what meaning have you given? What's my meaning, Lord? What, why am I here? I, I was asking that to myself. And then I heard this voice say, Mitch, beyond your religious works, I see your shame. And if you're under that fig tree, I want, I want you to imagine this. Jesus coming towards you. And, and guess what? Jesus can see beyond, your, beyond that fig tree. And Jesus can see your shame. Jesus can see your sin. Jesus can see your iniquity. But guess what? He will also say to you, He has come to accomplish what religion can never do for you. He came to provide for you His life so you don't have to be ashamed anymore. Jesus is telling to you right now, I came to fill your iniquity. Jesus is telling you right now, you know what, Anthony, Graham, you know what, Sam, you know what? Kiben, you know what? I came so that you may be filled. Christelle, I came so that you may be full. You know what? I came to be the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And, and, and if you feel that you know, God is that for you, that He is the lamb, 
He is. He came to make you whole. He came to forgive you. He came to set you free. So if you believe that, if you believe that, I want to invite you in this journey of following Christ, in this journey of you know entering 2023 full of hope, full of expectation because Christ came. I want to invite you to come and walk with me as I experience the miracle of Christ. So that, so that, as a community, I want you to look at the screen. As a community, we all can say this. We have found the Messiah. Come and see. If you're that person, if you have experienced the Messiah, I want you to stand on your feet. I want you to stand on your feet. If you have found the Messiah, if you have experienced Him come alive in your life, I want you to stand in your feet. Thank you for standing up. If you have found the Messiah and the Messiah is at work in you and you truly believe this, let's become like John the Baptist. Let's become like Andrew and Philip. Let's become like John the Beloved. Let's become like Nathaniel. Let's become the vessel that will declare to the world that I have found the Messiah. Why don't you come and see him with me? Let's all bow heads. Father, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for your church. I thank you, Lord, for making us experience you come alive. The word come alive. The word came alive not only, Lord God, uh, passively, Lord God, but you came to give us life and you gave to give us light. Lord, thank you for giving us a purpose right now. And I pray, Lord God, that right now, Lord God, that as we enter the new year, Lord, give us hope. Give us an expectant heart, Lord God, to see miracles. Lord God, not just a miracle of healing, not just the miracle of, Lord God, being provided for, not just the miracle of joy, Father, but the miracle of eternal life being passed on from one person to another. Father, I pray right now, Lord God, that you will open doors for us to proclaim these words, Lord, that we have seen, we have found the Messiah. Come and see Him. Lord, send us. Send us to the darkest places. Send us, Lord God, to the most hopeless places, Lord. And allow us, Lord God, to bring your light and life in that place. Lord, that as we go there, Lord God, I ask, Lord God, that you protect us. I ask, Lord God, that you, Lord God, give us, grant us favor, Lord. And Father, I ask, Lord God, that you give us new revelations and the grace and the strength to obey. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, because you first loved us. We are able to love others. And Lord God, with this, we declare with one mouth and one voice, Lord God, that we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
and amen. Why don't we all lift our hands and receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and grant you peace that is beyond your understanding. May He open doors and opportunities for you to proclaim His gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you so much. And I hope to see you again next week. Again, our materials for prayer and fasting are in the back. And we are from Monday. That's from Monday, right? Monday. Until Thursday, we will be meeting in the house. So I hope you can join us. That will be from... That will be from... Uh, 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. Alright? Happy fasting, everyone. God bless you, and I'll see you again next week.